Well, it is good to be back with you this evening. I would like to mention to you, and I'm not trying to embarrass this young man, we have a new visitor with us, a friend that uh, our young people brought to visit tonight. And you'll want to get to know him, and you'll want to make sure that you introduce yourself. He is Jason, and we're glad Jason is here with us tonight for sure. If you would, please keep in your prayers. Also, Sister Mary Goldston, she's not able to be with us today, not feeling well. But uh, let's remember to pray for her and, and lift her name up before God. You would open your Bibles to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. We're going to notice for just a few moments tonight the first six verses. Psalm 27. David writes saying, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and My foes came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. Although an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion, In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. As we read the words of David and uh, notice his psalm, we see the imagery of a battle being waged. After all, we we read words like enemies, foes, army, war, and trouble. It is very clear to the reader at this point in David's life, he is enduring some difficulty. But even in the midst of this battle, it is also clear to the reader that he has hope. And that's what I've entitled the sermon tonight. I want us to consider hope for a few minutes. And I've entitled this sermon, Having Hope During the Battle. Having Hope During the Battle. The English poet G.K. Chesterton said this, There is no medicine like hope, no incentive so great and no tonic so powerful as expectation of something better tomorrow. Emily Dickinson, in one of her poems, said, Hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul. American author O.S. Martin said, There is no medicine like hope. Pliny the Elder wrote, Hope is the dream of a waking man. And Martin Luther said, Everything that is done in the world is done by I think hope is a very powerful thing, but we have to understand it correctly, right? The dictionary describes hope as to have a wish to get, or for something to happen or to be true, especially something that seems possible or likely. Now, from the world's viewpoint, hope is just as the dictionary described it. It's a wishful thought, it's a longing for something that may happen or It may not happen. But that's how the world understands hope. But the Bible teaches a very 
different definition of hope. Notice what Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 17 verse 7. He said, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Now the world tells us that that hope is just a happy wish or a desire that that we may be able to attain and, and we just as likely may not be able to attain. But the word used for hope all throughout the Bible, the idea of hope found all throughout the Bible tells a very different story. These words teach us that hope is a deep and settled confidence. A confidence that says God will do exactly what He has told us He will do. We all have battles, but do we have hope? That's the question. Do we rest in the sure confidence that God will do what He has told us He will do? Maybe we wrestle within our lives and and we live in turmoil because we understand that God will do what He says He will do, but I'm not doing what I ought to do. Hope can cut that way as well. If we're going to be victorious in the battles of which we face in this life, we've got to have hope. We talked about that this morning in one of our points about having confidence and believing. We can't lose our confidence, right? Well, we're going to talk about confidence in another way as it regards hope. How do we gain our hope? How are we going to keep our hope alive? But we have to understand from where our hope comes. That's what we, we have to understand, the source of our hope. And the source of our hope, and we're going to look at exactly what David says, we're going to begin with our first point is, our hope comes because of the confidence we have in our Lord. That's our first point. The confidence that we have in our Lord. And we have confidence in the person of our Lord. We think of God and often we fail to realize He's a person. He's not a person like we are. He doesn't have a physical body. He's not a human. He's not limited in any way, but He is a personality. He is a person. He has a mind. He has feelings. He he thinks. He's happy. He's sad. He's angry. He is a person. And we have confidence in the person of our Lord. David began his song by speaking about a personal faith and declaring his faith in the personal attributes of the Lord. I want us to notice the three times that David used the word my in verse number 1. He talked about my light, my salvation, and my strength. There are great blessings that come with those attributes that God has. My light, my salvation, and my strength. As light, God delivers His people from darkness, doesn't He? That's what He's always done. Without God, we cannot be delivered out of darkness. Without God, there is nothing but darkness. Paul said, God had delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son, and of His love, Colossians 1.13. The psalmist would later declare, and I believe it to be David, Psalm 119, 105, 
that the Word of God is a light by which we are to guide our steps. His Word is to direct us. It lights our path. It it helps us along the way. It shows us where we are in relation with God, and it shows us where we ought to be going. He brings us from darkness into light. Well, as salvation, God delivers His people from spiritual death, doesn't He? What an attribute. Jesus said this, John 5, 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in Him who sent me has everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. As salvation, He gives us life. The wonderful news is, as salvation, God secures our souls, right? He secures our souls. Peter said this, 1 Peter 1, 5, He said the faithful are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God will secure us. He will secure the faithful. Now, it's our, it's our part to be faithful. It's our part to remain faithful. But God will secure the faithful. Finally, as strength, God delivers His people from defeat, doesn't He? Who likes to be defeated? No one likes to lose, do they? We don't like to lose games on Friday night. We have game night. We don't like to go down to the park and lose a soccer game. We don't like doing any of that. We don't like to lose, right? Well, when we talk about our spiritual lives, we have to understand, as our strength, God delivers us from defeat. And that's what we want. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven. He said, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to understand the source of the victory. If we're going to have confidence, and we're going to understand that confidence in Christ's person, in our Lord's person, brings our hope about, we have to understand the source, right? Christ is the source. He is the source. And as our strength, God guarantees our success to the faithful. Notice what Paul reminded the Romans, Romans 8.37. He said, Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. When you look at that phraseology and you do the word study, that indicates super conquerors. Super conquerors. We're not just going to win. We're going to be super conquerors. How? Through Him who loved us. Because of the attributes of God, we have confidence in the person of our Lord. The things that He has provided for us, but we also have confidence in His performance. What does David base his hope on when we read this? In the psalm, he declared his present hope in the Lord is related to the things that God has done in the past. He says He'll do something, and He does it. So we, we can look at his performance. God had never failed David, and David knew that. He'd never failed him, he's never going to fail him. He's not going to start failing him. When David fought and killed Goliath, we remember that. He gave all the honor to the, uh, to the Lord. He told the giant, My God will deliver you this day into my hand. Do you remember when he was talking to King Saul and and King Saul says, you're but a youth and, and the giant Goliath, he's been a warrior from his youth. He said, listen, 
God delivered the lion and the bear into my hands. And he'll deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands as well. He was going to have victory. He knew from past experience that God would deliver. We serve the same God today. We serve that very same God who David served. Our God is an unchangeable God. He will continue to offer the gift of grace and mercy to those who will be faithful. And He will never, He'll never fail us. Now we may fail Him. Do you remember what God told Malachi? Malachi 3 verse 6. He said, For I am the Lord, I do not change. He's never failed us in the past. And He'll never fail us. The writer of Hebrews made the same statement, didn't he? Hebrews 13 verse 8. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now we're fortunate that He made that statement. We know that that God will never fail us. We know that Jesus will never fail us because just a few verses before He made that statement, the writer of Hebrews said, Jesus uh, said of Jesus Himself, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He doesn't change. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Paul said everybody in this life had left Him. No man stood with Him save the Lord. God stood with Him. Jesus stood with Him. That's all He needed. That's all we need. Our hope comes from our confidence. We have to understand the source of our hope if we're going to battle in this life. Our hope comes from our confidence in the person and the performance of the Lord. But it also comes from our commitment to Him. If I understand I am committed, and this is our second point, if I understand I am committed to the Lord, I can have hope. We're talking biblical hope, scriptural hope. I can know for certain I can be in heaven. John said we can know that we know that we can be saved. Isn't that wonderful to be able to go through this life understanding that there is a crown of life waiting? That there is heaven waiting on us? That's what Paul said. He said, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. Now I know there's a crown of life waiting on me. Not just to me only but to all those who love His appearing, to all those who look forward to the appearance of the Lord, 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. We can know that. I have to know that my commitment to Him supports my hope. David was committed to loving the Lord, wasn't he? Notice, he wanted to spend his life in the house of the Lord. He wanted to be in the place where God dwelled. He wanted to be where His presence was real. He wanted to be with the God of heaven. He wanted to be able to make contact with Him. He wanted to be able to have the blessings of a relationship with Him. And that's a desire that David would repeat again. Psalm 84 verses 1 through 4. In that psalm, David envied the birds who built their nests close to the tabernacle because they could always be close to the house of God and he knew he couldn't. What a wonderful, wonderful mindset of a man like David. He had a desire to be where God was. He wanted to be in the place where God was worshipped. Of course, it's different now in our time. God was worshipped in the tabernacle. Later he was 
worshipped in the temple. We can worship God anywhere. As long as we come together, we can worship God alone. If that, if that is the situation, we can worship God. David said he wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord. He sought after His face. What does that mean? What does it mean when we're face to face or we want to talk to someone face to face? That means we want to be in their presence, right? We want to be able to commune with them one on one. We want to see them and be a part of what they are. That's what David wanted. Not only was he committed to loving the Lord, he was committed to worshiping Him. And if we're going to worship the Lord, how should we worship Him? According to His standards, right? That ought to be the goal of of everyone, of every believer. If we're going to worship God, we do it according to His way. Jesus told us how to worship. He said, God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. John 4, 24. As we yield ourselves to the God of heaven and we worship Him for what He is and, and for who He has revealed Himself to be. What a blessing! Well, that means we're engaged in loving Him. We're showing our deep respect for Him. We're honoring Him. Our commitment to loving God provides hope for us. We understand if we love God and we do what He's asked us to do, we have that hope. He's going to do what He said He's going to do. And it helps us as we engage in the battles of this life. We're committed to loving God, but we also have to be committed to leaning on God. We have to accept that. We have to acknowledge that, right? David expressed his desire to call on the Lord. What does that mean? He wanted to commune with God. He wanted to make requests of God. He wanted to to lay himself bare before God. That's another image of worship, isn't it? coming before God and communing and speaking, David declared his utter dependence upon the Lord. Like David, we have to be able to look beyond ourselves. We have to be able to look beyond our own abilities. We have to be able to look to the limitless power that God has in His providing for us and doing the things that are best for us, not just physically, but more importantly, spiritually speaking. And because of that, we should want nothing more than to call on God, just like David did. We ought to want to come before His throne. When bad times happen, we need to bend the knee before God and and explain to Him about those things that, that we are feeling. Not that He doesn't already know that. We need to be able to go to Him and and. Talk about the thanksgivings that we feel in our hearts as the things that we've asked for happen in this world. Not that He doesn't already understand that. We have to commit to leaning on Him though and have the kind of prayer life that He expects us to have. I want us to notice something, Matthew 6 verse 8. Prior to teaching the disciples how to pray, do you remember what Jesus said to them? He said, God already knows your every need, but pray this way, verse 9. Have you ever thought about that? So why ask God? Why ask God if He already knows? Paul said, Philippians 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, not some things, not just when times are tough or times are bad, not just when times are good, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. God wants us to demonstrate in our lives our dependence on Him. He wants us to recognize individually, I am dependent upon God. We remember the parable of the rich fool. He walks out and he looks at all that he has and he says, Boy, look how successful. I have enough laid up. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I, In fact, I'm going to tear down all these barns that I have and I'm going to build greater and bigger barns. Do you remember what the Lord said? Thou fool, this very night your soul will be required of thee. And then, whose things will all this be that you have provided? He hadn't provided anything. God blessed him. There's no reason to believe he wasn't an honest businessman. But he wasn't dependent upon God. He didn't learn to lean upon God. And that's what God wants from us. In other words, God wants us to commit to leaning upon Him. We have to do our part. But then He will provide for us. And in that, brethren, we have hope. Because we know He'll do what He said. Hope is provided to the Christian through our confidence in God. Our commitment to Him. It's our third point and our last one. We also have hope through the comfort that we receive from Him. Notice back to our passage. God had provided a sheltered place for David. He'll provide a sheltered place for us also. David spoke of being hidden in God's pavilion. you know what a pavilion is? The king's pavilion was a tent. And that tent was erected right in the middle of the army. You weren't going to get to the king until you went through thousands and thousands of brave soldiers. Where did David say he wanted to be and where he knew God would place him? In His pavilion. Who's going to get to us when we're in God's pavilion? It's impossible. No one will get to us in God's pavilion. Who could have gotten to David as king of Israel while he was in his pavilion? No one could have gotten to him. This word hide, you know what it means? To treasure away. He wants to be hidden like a treasure in the tabernacle of God. What a comforting thought. Isn't it wonderful to know that if we're faithful and we follow God's commandments that He will treasure us away? Treat us like a treasure? I just want to smile when I think of that. The assurance of His sheltering place allows us to weather the storms of life. We know that because we are in a sheltered place, that no matter what happens in this life, we can handle it, oh boy, but the next one. It will be so good. It will be so good. That's what allowed David to face Goliath. That's the kind of hope that allowed Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah to to be able to not bow down before the, the idol of Nebuchadnezzar. It's that kind of a hope, that being in that sheltered place, knowing that no matter what, they can't really get to you. That was the hope and the 
confidence that protected Daniel's heart as he spent a night in the den of lions, knowing that no matter what happened, they couldn't really get to him even if they killed him physically. Do you remember what the three friends of Daniel said? O king, our God is able to save us. They didn't say He would save them. He's able to save us, but if He doesn't, we won't bow down. We're not going to bow down. You might kill us physically, but you can't get to us. Why? We're in God's pavilion. We're protected. We're surrounded. When this life is over, we'll commune in heaven with Him. We'll be, as it were, face to face with the God of heaven. We will be happy to be there. We'll surround the throne. And then what's going to happen to us? Nothing. We'll be happy for eternity. But it was a sheltered place that David knew where he could be because it was a place of security. That's what made it sheltered. David had the hope of God hiding him in the tabernacle. Setting him up, he said, on a high rock. Have we ever referred to the second person of the Godhead as the rock? The rock of Horeb, we read about that in 1 Corinthians. Of course, the rock is the Lord. He's unchangeable, He's powerful, He's immovable. He has all the attributes of God and He's going to take care of us. It's a place of security. David spoke of the rock of safety in Psalm 40, verses 1 through 2. Paul talked of the rock that followed the Israelites through the wilderness and gave them everything they needed, both physically and spiritually. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. If faithful, we are promised a rock of refuge, a place of shelter and security. Now this word rock means a, a craggy, huge rock, one that is, is high like a mountain, overlooking the valley. And you're sitting upon that, nothing can get to you. It's like being in the pavilion of the king. Now, let's notice verse 5. Because of the things in verse 5. Because those things are passive in verse 5. Not things that David is doing, but things that God is doing to David and for David. There is a teaching in the religious world that says, there you go. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is trust in God and He'll take care of everything. Nothing can be further from the truth. That's patently false. Do we have to do anything? Is there anything that we have to do on our part? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Notice what it means. Uh, let's notice. Let me find the verse. Isaiah 30, I believe it is. That's not what it is. I apologize for that. Just check with Cameron after the services and she'll let you know. I'll explain what's in the verse. Isaiah talks about waiting on the Lord. Those who, are, who wait on the Lord. What does it mean to wait? Those who wait on the Lord will be faithful. What's that intend? That means to patiently serve, doesn't it? We patiently serve the Lord. How do we do that? Through obedience. We're patient in this life. We understand that God is who He said He was. He'll do what He said He would do. And if He tells me to do certain things and I say I can do those and I will do those, I know I can have heaven as an eternal home. 
Those who wait on the Lord patiently serve Him. There are things we have to do in order to be found pleasing to God. How are we saved? We're saved by grace. There's no doubt about it. We cannot work our way to heaven. We're saved by grace though. Paul said, through faith. What kind of faith? The same kind of faith we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. Hope and faith, they're the same things. We're talking about a hope founded in something. We're talking about a faith that does something. We're talking about a faith like Seth had. A faith like Noah had. We're talking about a faith like Abram had. A faith like the judges had. A faith like Job had. A faith like all those wonderful men and women of the Bible. They had a working faith. What did Noah do? He did something. He built an ark. That happened to be what he had to do. What did Abram do? He had to leave Ur of the Chaldees. He had to make a trek all the way over to the promised land. That happened to be what he had to do. What about Abel? What did Abel have to do? Well, Abel had to offer the perfect sacrifice, and he did that. That's what he had to do. What do we have to do today? We have to obey the we have to obey the pattern of salvation. We have to obey the plan of salvation, don't we? We have to patiently serve. How do we do that? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. We can't listen to somebody. It doesn't matter what Rick Owen says. I've been wrong before, I'll be wrong again. But if anybody can open their Bible and they can take you to a passage... And they can say, this is what the Bible says. We have to have faith that Jesus Christ is who He said He was. That's what He said, John eight twenty four. If we can open the Bible and we can take you to a passage and it says, in answering the question, men and brethren, what should we do to be saved? Acts two thirty seven. Peter spoke the truth, led by the Holy Spirit, Acts two thirty eight. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall, be, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Faith and repentance. Now we see baptism as well. If we can open up the Bible and we can turn to a passage and we can show an example of, say, the Ethiopian eunuch going, leaving Pentecost, leaving the Passover, studying from Isaiah 53, Philip asking him, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I unless some man guide me? And I believe it's verse 27 of Acts chapter 8. At that place Philip taught him Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, I don't know what all it means in that particular time. I don't know what all they talked about. But I know they must have talked about faith. They must have talked about repentance. I know they talked about confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God because He did that. I know they talked about baptism because they both went down into the water and He immersed Him. If we can open the Bible and we can talk about baptism and what it does for us, giving us a clear conscience, 1 Peter 3, 21, and saving us. Let's, let's take the word of the Bible. If we can open a passage in the Bible, and we can read the words of Jesus, Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Not, is saved and then baptized. That's not what the Lord said. My hope can't be built on that. My hope has to be built on what He said. If I can open a passage and read that, how we're supposed to endure to the end, Matthew 10, 22. Let's take God's word for it. Not a once saved, always saved uh, doctrine of the devil. We don't, want to, we don't want to believe that. We don't want to build our faith on something that can't be supported in the Bible. That's not what Jesus taught. 
He that believeth and endures to the end shall be saved. These are some great lessons to consider as we fight the battles of this life. But in the battles, in the midst of our battles, do we have hope? Is that keeping us going? Well, if we have hope, we can do a whole lot of things. Do we have a deep, settled confidence that we can be in eternity with God because we've been obedient? If we lack the hope that God wants us to have, we can fix that. And we do that by reaffirming our confidence in the Lord, by renewing our commitment to the Lord, and by resting in the comfort of the Lord. That is the hope that God wants us to have. We've talked about initial obedience. We saw a brother do that this morning. We heard about it. Some of us saw it. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living, that gets us to heaven. Sometimes we slip up in this life and we have to come forward. Brother Ron talked about uh, the brother that, that the congregation knows who's a member at North Hamilton, been erring for 40-something years, came back, took access and took advantage of the second law of pardon. Going forward, repenting of sin, confessing his faults, God will forgive. He's faithful and just to forgive us, 1 John 1, 7-9. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation at this time, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.